So today we're talking about the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. And if you're following along in the book, we're covering the prologue and the first chapter, a long expected party. But if you're following along with the movies, um, we're talking about just the first 32 minutes in Fellowship, which, um, you know, I was honestly thinking that it was going to be less than that for some reason, but it is like a solid like 32 minutes and four seconds. Mm -hmm. Now, on a very broad level, it's interesting to think about the different ways in which the books and movies are framed. It kind of goes back to our last episode where we talked about the different things adaptations choose to focus on. You know, for example, you can see at the beginning um, how this book is really set up to be a sequel to The Hobbit. Like the beginning of the prologue, it starts with a section literally called Concerning Hobbits. Um, of stuff about pipeweed, stuff about the way the Shire is constructed, their government system, sort of. Um, it's really, and I was thinking about this because I just recently reread The Hobbit, and at the end it says something about, like, if you're interested in learning more about Hobbits, uh, you know, check out Lord of the Rings. And it's so funny because it's like, ultimately, Fellowship, well, it is like a sequel to The Hobbit, but it's really not in a lot of ways. You know, it's not really just about Bilbo. It's not like more Bilbo adventures, right? Right. It becomes this much bigger story and it has a lot more um, behind it, you know? Um, and it's not so much a coming of age, but like saving the world type of thing. Um, Lots of but saving you, the but, world. Yes. But, so you can see like how, I think for the... A, a big chunk of these first few episodes we're going to be seeing Tolkien kind of working through it being a sequel to The Hobbit and it becoming Lord of the Rings if that makes sense yeah uh, um it's so good. you know we have that stuff and then Peter Jackson's team starts essentially with content from the appendices stuff about the second age giving larger context and background to set up the conflict we're about to see um and i thought that was really interesting because you know with the movies i mean you can't there there was no hobbit movie yet obviously and you like the you know tolkien it was still a huge hugely influential in fantasy um may was like translated into like every country by that time like so many languages was like a huge seller but at the t same time I don't think it had like the cultural like mm, what's the word that I want there just like uh maybe significance but maybe just like influence um that it does post movie so you couldn't have you know they were you have to write it as if nobody knows what anything is about to happen in the movies you know so yeah. it, it it makes a lot of sense to me that they and I think it was a really cool choice to instead of just opening straight up with Bilbo's you know party they talk you know they give it like this more like they they set up the ancient feel of the world right away you know with Galadriel's opening lines and the last alliance of elves and men um so i thought that that was one of like it's probably like the first big change that they made you know from mm -hmm. the the books and i think it worked really really well i thought it was gorgeous 
Yeah, and also just, like, let Kate Blanchett narrate my whole life, please. Right, like, she needs to have, like, audiobook deals and just, like, start narrating random news bits because she is a shining star. Yeah, I think that that is one thing that, like, just broadly, movies versus books, like, you can get a ton of detail, and we will get into a ton of detail about the books, and there is so much description there's a lot more lore like I was just saying about even like the hobbits like he and you can tell a lot about the prologue there's like footnotes and stuff where it's like I feel like he wrote it after the fact because he references stuff about like Frodo and at that point nobody knows who Frodo is you know (laughs) if you are opening the book for the first time but he you know it feels like written for someone who's reading the books over and over again you know but where where you know where in the books you're really imagining everything you're getting all all of the details like you're getting timelines and you're getting um all of these things that like enrich the world one way but then with like hearing the actors actually saying the lines and like the delivery and the way that i think that that helps cement them into your brain in like a totally different way um and like the music and like seeing the visuals on screen I think there is something I mean I mean that is what movie magic is right like the transportive factor that where you literally feel like you're somewhere else for a few hours yes I would have to say there are certain like famous quotes in Lord of the Rings uh quite Kate Blanchett's introduction is definitely one big cloth of them and if I were to read the book there's no way I could read that information without hearing her yeah and you know what is super funny about that is that um I can't either those lines are actually from Treebeard in Return of the King essentially after everything happens there's kind of like a traveling party where they go to Rohan and like Eowyn stops off with Faramir and then they go to Isengard to see what the dealio is and Galadriel and Celeborn are there and Treebeard says to them that the world has changed you know I feel it in the earth you know I smell it in the air he says that to Galadriel about how he doesn't think they're ever going to meet again like they're this is the first time they've met and they will probably never see each other again Mm -hmm. so like completely different context and it's supposed to be in Treebeard's voice. Do I hear it as Kate Blanchett? Absolutely, I do. <laughs> and it's like, whoa. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it's so funny how, you know, the that is, uh, t- like, the, the contexts are totally different, right? But it's just yeah. so iconic that it's, it's, in, it's that way in my brain now. So, so we open with... Um, her describing how it's it's funny like she puts it like it all began with these three rings and that's like or with the rings of power right i'm like debatable because like may like yes insofar as like how we ended up here for this story and i do think they'd put it together very cool the way that they go all the way from the creation of the rings to the last alliance of elves and men, Sealdor losing the ring and Gollum finding it, and then Bilbo, enter Bilbo, right? And that is what 
gets gets us to like present day essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um so i think that is done really super well um but it is uh he a, you know a pretty big departure from the book like in the book all of them i think do open with the poem um i'm literally looking at my book yeah they all open with the three rings for the elven kings under the sky, seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone, nine for mortal men doomed to die, one for the dark lord on his dark throne. So she's like explaining the poem, mm-hmm. right? Um, but I know, Anna, in your notes, you had asked, like, who were those elves? That... Yeah, who were the other ones? So, so like, um, that is interesting because i think in the movie they're showing i think they're showing gilgalad and kirden and galadriel but at the time of the movie it's galadriel gandalf and elrond that all have the rings so i'm gonna go backwards now to the part that um they kind of gloss over with the rings so they make it seem like uh it kind of they kind of make it sound as if like correct me if this is the not the impression that they give but i think the impression that the speech at the beginning gives and of course like you don't it's one of the things where it's like it doesn't really matter if you have all the context but um ultimately but like i think the impression that they give with the way galadriel walks you through that is that um sauron somehow gave the rings to the elves to the dwarves to the men and then goes and makes the one ring i didn't i didn't have that impression i had the impression that like there is chaos there everyone is trying to control chaos so three rings were made for the elves seven for the dwarves nine for men Mm -hmm. um and then Sauron was like, um, excuse me, I'm a bad bitch. I'm going to make one too for me because I'm going to control all the dark shit. And that was the ring. So do you, so do you, it made it sound to you like each, um, like race was making their own rings or who do you, is it unclear where the rings came from to you? Uh, it's unclear where the rings came from, but that elves, dwarves, and men were kind of like all in cahoots with each other when they were yeah. doing this and Sauron was off on his own making his bad boy ring. Yeah. Well, fun fact. Okay. So we're just going to give like a brief overview of the stuff that happens in the second age. Um, and I think that this will be good context to have for when we go into the rings of power in September, you know? So um, essentially Sauron, dis- so the Second Age, uh, most of a big chunk of Middle Earth, most of Beleriand is like destroyed, and then um, you know as many people escape or whatever to the rest of Middle Earth, or they're given Numenor, right? Um, so Sauron somehow is one of those escapee boys from Morgoth stuff, who was like original baddie, like mm-hmm. I mentioned last time. Um, so he disguises himself as um like another elf or maybe a Maiar, like maybe like a lesser god, but essentially like a pretty, he's very fair to look upon, right? And he calls himself Anatar, which means Lord of Gifts. 
Um, and he attempts to seduce the elves, you know, tried to be like, hey, let's be friends. And people like Gilgalad and Elrond are like, no, you seem very sus. And so then he goes to the elves of Eregion, who um, we will see remnants of their work with like the doors of Moria. So they were like right next to the dwarves near the Misty Mountains and had like a partnership with them and were really friendly with them, honestly. Um, and so the main elf there is Celebrimbor, and he ends up making all of the rings of power with Sauron. I think, I don't totally recall why they were making rings. Um, I think it was like Celebrimbor was, you know, they they were both into crafting. I think that was very much something that they both were interested in. And Sauron was, as Anatar was like, promoting himself as like, oh, like I'm a, you know, his name is Lord of Gifts. He was like trying to like teach them things while also clearly learning from the elves of Region. Um, and so they make all the rings of power together, except for the three for the elves, um, which, but Celebrimbor uses the knowledge that Sauron gives him for, to make those rings. Um, and then Sauron sneaks off to Mordor and makes the one with the idea that he could control all of the 19 rings or whatever it okay. is. Okay. And then eventually we lead to um, Isildur getting the ring. And that's one thing that like I found really interesting about um, over on Don Marshall's page on TikTok. He has like t-shirts that say Yeet Isildur, like as if Elrond should have thrown him into the fires of Mount Doom with the ring to destroy it. So then we wouldn't have had Sauron. Definitely had uh, that thought when I was watching the movie I'm like why didn't you push him <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah you know it, it's interesting because um well a i think the for tolkien the intentions behind the action are almost more important than the action itself um mm-hmm. so like elrond doing that and I think that Tolkien is really big on like second chances or like letting people come to their own things. Like even in the first age, like even Melkor after, so he's one of like the gods and he messes things up for Middle Earth and they put him in the void. So like very big time out. And then eventually they're like, well, let's see if he's changed. <laughs> and he's but just that, worse. That physical isolation. Let's see if that did him any good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, they... Um, so, I think that that is a, a big part of why Elrond could never... But also, I think that the movie kind of paints him... Um, not just him, but, like, a, most men... Like, what was the line that she says, the hearts of men are easily corrupted. And it makes it sound like being corrupted by the ring is definitely, it's like, it's def, it's like a character flaw of all humans, you know, like some kind of um, thing that is wrong with them. But 
Gandalf and Galadriel in the story also talk about how the ring would like they would be corrupted by the ring just as easily mm-hmm. as anyone else. So I'm really hoping that the rings of power get to show more of a sealed door. I'm sure that he I know that he's going to be like a, a character, but I hope that he really gets to play like a big part because I think that the same way that like kind of we'll see later with Boromir, I think that there's a lot of like misunderstanding of him as a character if within the movies maybe not so much the books but like what's saying with Isildur is that like he is actually a pretty cool character like he's one of the guys that like went when they were still living in Numenor like is standing up to Sauron uh, when he's there and kind of like ruining everything and he's the one that saves fruits or seeds from the the white tree that they have there in the oh. war and, and brings it to Middle Earth. Oh. And is why Gondor has the white tree to begin with. So what a detail. I mean I, I know. <laughs> he was pretty cool. He was yeah. pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, I I hope they we get to see more of that. I hope that they get to be like really fully fleshed out characters like Isildur, his Elendil, his dad, his brother, for sure. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my hopes for the for the show. That would be interesting. Yeah. To so then we get... Say what? To see it from a different side. Yeah, absolutely. I think that it, it's, um, it's got a lot of potential for reframing how people think about the men of middle earth yeah it's not good especially when you're just watching lord of the rings yeah it's it's like, so those interesting guys are dope. <laughs> yes like constantly like boromir i feel like there's a lot of boromir slander um and then you know with faramir they change him yeah. a lot i think denethor is even you know like there is like denethor isn't so obviously like horrible in the books but there's that like sticky guy who is like weird with Eowyn. <gasps> Worm tongue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he's just sticky though. Okay, he was like, yeah, not good. Yeah, yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how they tackle Numenor because there is a point where. You know, the the men are, I would say, overall, like, closer to the elves and, like, attitude and, like, philosophy of things. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, they go to, they're, like, a seafaring because they live on an island and they, you know, become great mariners and they discover Middle Earth for themselves that way and they at first are like using it to teach um the men of middle earth so like the numenorians are different from the rest of the men of middle earth because they are of the lines of men that helped defeat morgoth at the end of the first age and the gods gifted them this island and like really long lives like 500 year lifespans um and then so in the beginning you know they're real cool and 
building lots of amazing things and they're teaching the men of middle earth stuff that they know and like you know helping people grow culturally um mm-hmm. helping them learn new crafts and stuff but then as time goes on they become more jealous of the elves and they are you know thinking that that they want to live forever essentially and eventually Sauron tricks them into thinking that the elves took their long lifespans from the gods and Valinor and that all they have to do is go get it uh and that's how we get the destruction of Numenor but but so during that time when they're getting corrupted and uh by Sauron they switch to more of like a colonizer-y vibe in Middle-earth they start taking over places they start and that's um and I don't think that they're like doing horrible things to people or anything but they are kind of like asserting themselves as like the boss of the other men mm-hmm. in middle earth so it'll be really and not not all Numenormians are like that but it'll be really interesting to see how they handle that in the show and how much yeah. they'll handle of that in the show it sounds uh <clears throat> that it would make pretty captivating tv so hopefully they do yeah, I hope so too because it's um you know, when you get to the point of like compressing the timeline like is it going to be like boom, destruction of Valerian, boom, Sauron's sneaking up making rings, boom, they're in a war? Do you know what I mean? Like uh, yeah. I hope that they do get enough time to play and like but we already know that there's gonna be like 20 plus main characters or something so I hope yeah. that... how do you do the story justice and make us care about all these different characters yeah so sure so surely they're gonna be showing us all like the many different things going on in middle earth at this time mm-hmm. I don't know how they're gonna do the whole if with the compression of the timeline like the whole death thing like the men being afraid of death because that's like their big motivator towards the end Mm -hmm. but remains to be seen remains to be seen a few months yeah and we'll just be here speculating the whole time oh yeah (laughs) so um with all that said with you know knowing that Sauron is probably going to be a cutie patootie i saw in your notes that you would like to see um bill skarsgård play sauron yes so welcome to my ted talk about (laughs) bill skarsgård i think he is a very attractive human and he has kind of nestled himself into some would say typecast you know some would say you know he's just working with what he got but he has a very spooky era to him. Like he plays Pennywise um, in It, but he's obviously all covered up. He's a vampire in Hemlock Grove, the Eli Roth uh, vampire werewolf TV show on Netflix. Um, and I've also just seen him like 
little bits and pieces, cameos type thing in other uh, darker shows. Um, and he was recently one of the monsters in The Internals, which is a really weird surprise. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, because he, he, he just has this voice for just like being a bad guy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think someone who is supposed to be attractive and deceitful, um, I think the way he portrays his characters, that would that would mesh perfectly. But understandably, sometimes large TV shows like this, um, they on purpose don't cast people who are, you know, like famous or like, you know, have a name to themselves. Like, I don't know if there's anyone who we've seen before other than my boy, baby Ned, who, who's going to know that, that <laughs> baby Ned is in <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Um, and everybody, baby a- Ned is, I mean, if you're a of Game of Thrones, you already know, but baby Ned is Elrond. He plays Elrond. He plays Ned in the flashbacks uh, yeah. that, that Bran has mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. his father. Um, but he's like the only, for me, the only recognizable person in the show. So Same. I highly doubt that they would drop like a quote unquote major celebrity in this show but yeah and people have been speculating about like who's gonna play him but i don't think they're gonna tell us like they did drop a ton of those character posters right Mm -hmm. but you know i don't think if sauron is in there it's not the one that you think it is and it's probably like him looking cute or maybe he's not even in it. I don't know. I don't know. They're going to keep that one close to the chest. Because I think that they... You know, I, obviously, like we've mentioned before, that it, this is not going to be made for Silmarillion fans. Like, most people aren't going to know that Sauron was ever a cutie. And um, so I think that that is probably going to be one of their big reveals at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I, so I don't know how they're going to do that. Maybe they'll even trick us. I don't know, but it kind of seems like that'll be hard to do because it's like gonna be like whoever decides to start making rings. Like, <laughs> somebody do it over there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm super interested to see how they do that because I would like to be surprised, you know. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really um. What was that? Like a divergent from the what happens in the movie. But hey, yeah. that's what you're here for. Sauron the hottie. We established <laughs> this. Okay. It's canon. Yeah. <laughs> Most of that show probably won't be canon. Not everything we're going to talk about is canon, but that is canon. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So that puts us at Bilbo finding the ring. Um, him getting it from Gollum, and then cut to uh, the day. So it's interesting because in the movie, they're immediately, it's the day of Bilbo's party. Like that night, they're going to have the party. In mm-hmm. the book, it's essentially like a few weeks before. So they're giving us like all these details about like dwarves coming to deliver toys from Dale, you know, from uh, Erebor, like from the dwarves that you know that he traveled with and 
pupil oh. and, and of Dale, you know? So he's like, he's like ordering toys and presents from around the country because for hobbits on their birthdays, they give away presents. Okay. And I think Tolkien writes that detail in there that, I mean, I think it's kind of quirky and cute. Like you're, the idea is that most hobbits are getting a present of some kind most days of the year. Um, but later Bilbo says that he's doing that, like that he, you know, put all these preparations into it to try to make leaving the ring with Frodo easier. And it didn't okay. work, but he, uh, he did try to do, to, you know, to kind of like work up giving away all the stuff. Yeah. Um, which I think was really, I think I'm like, Bilbo, you're just the sweetest little baby. Like, you poor thing. He didn't ask for any of this. And Frodo no. certainly didn't. No, he did not. Yeah. So, so that gets us to Bilbo. And then Bilbo does get to, you know, in the extended edition, that's one of the reasons why I love the extended edition is that they have, like, Bilbo explaining Hobbits to the audience you know, and I think that feels very appropriate so that you still mm-hmm. get some of that concerning Hobbit stuff um, as far as like the nature of Hobbits and what they're like it, in there, which I think is pretty cute. Yeah. So then Bilbo is, um, and then we see Frodo and Gandalf and like that doesn't really happen in the book, but I think hmm. it was a really... So, like, it's really just Bilbo and then cut to Gandalf and Bilbo mainly, and then the party. And we don't really see much of Frodo until after the party, a little bit during the party. Um, So I think, but I think that that was a great way to introduce his character, you know, to show, like, get a little back and forth with Gandalf. You get a little bit of, like, a sense of who Gandalf is before mm-hmm, he goes mm-hmm. into Bilbo but pretty much every scene with Bilbo and Gandalf is really faithful like he has Gandalf and Bilbo have two conversations in the movie but it's really like one conversation in the book and they break it up okay. but I think it works really good I mean it's like they are taking it almost word for word so Ooh. super faithful in that sense um and Frodo um you know getting to see more of him at the party I think was great introducing sam you know you see him for a hot second when bilbo is describing uh how hobbits love things that grow which i thought was super Mm -hmm. cute because he's a gardener and then uh frodo encouraging sam to dance with rosie at the party is adorable yeah Uh, we also get mary and pippin introduced here which um you know i know that mary ends up in the book he helps i can't remember when pippin pops up uh, but Mary how ha- helps Frodo um, kind of clear out more of Bilbo's stuff after Bilbo leaves, because Bilbo leaves a, a stuff a bunch of stuff behind for people to take, like kind of as like joke gifts. Like okay. uh, there's like there's like one relative that never responds to letters, so Bilbo gifted them like a gold pen and ink. <laughs> so stuff like that, or like there's like, huh? It's like, get your gas together. Yeah, it's like, it's very, like, (laughs) passive-aggressive (laughs) gift-giving. Or, you know, Tolkien writes it like he gives them, like, some of them are kind of rude, but some of them are where the gifts will be needed or most used, is how he Mm -hmm. puts it, which I think was cute. Um, 
but Mary and Pippin we get to see at the at the party with the fireworks. Um and there's like two things about the fireworks. So first when you know when Gandalf sets off them off on his way to Bag End to mm-hmm. Bilbo's house, he sets them off for all those kids. In the book, he goes, "No, like you'll see plenty of them at the party. I'm not I'm not going to blow them up right now." And it's oh. like, "Aw." <laughs> But then, you know, they are very spectacular at the party. Um, but I do I do kind of love that he does that because it is very satisfying. For... It's a very cute moment. Yeah, it's adorable. And then in the at the party, when Merry and Pippin steal the, the big firework and it's like the dragon thing, um, that was very much planned by Gandalf. Like Gandalf sets it off and it's like to kind of rustle people up and remind people people about Bilbo's um, story with the dragon and Erebor and all of that. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, um, I think it's a great opportunity to introduce them, honestly, because uh, while I would have liked to see more of like, you know how the the interaction with Frodo and Sam is so sweet at the party, like encouraging him to go dance um, I wish that there had been more of like an introduction that showed us how close Merry and Pippin are to Frodo, mm-hmm. because truly in the book they are they uh, they help Frodo move. So like in uh, getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but it's like it's so hard to keep us all uh, because the the movies move so fast, right? Correct. But in the book, they essentially help Frodo move. Like he does like a yeah, it makes it like a big show of like I'm moving instead of because he doesn't want people to like talk or to like spread rumors about why he left or to for some reason he makes it very clear that he's moving back to where he grew up in Bucklands where Barry, Mary grew up. Um, okay. And so that's kind of like where you start to see how close Mary and Pippin are to Frodo is that, that they're helping him move and stuff. And um I wish that they had done like a moment with the party to show their relationship to Frodo because then we don't see them again until the, cause it always feels kind of off to me that when they meet in farmer maggots crops in the movie, then mm-hmm. they just literally commit to going all the way to Rivendell with him and then yeah. on for the rest of it. But there's never like a, I don't know. It's never like really explained that they are all really besties this whole time. I mean, it's it's clear that they are. Otherwise, why would you do that? But yeah. as far as like setting up their relationship, I feel like they really made effort for Sam and Frodo. But with Merry and Pippin, they just kind of like push them into the story. Absolutely. You know, we just kind of accept that they go along for that crazy ride Um, yeah but you know hey it doesn't like really take you out of the moment or anything no just when you're like sitting here thinking about it for hours like i do (laughs) (laughs) so i know that um you had also had a thought about um some thoughts about bilbo there yeah, there there are several things about Bilbo that I think happened both in sort of like the introduction 
to hobbits and like whispering that you can uh, assume people are doing at the party um, that people are like really perturbed about the fact that he left and had this adventure. Um, and like the people like give Kandalf like the evil eye when he uh, comes in because he's a disturber of the peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in my eyes, I'm like, he did something crazy. Like, of course, he is going to be obsessed with his own adventure. Like, how, 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 I feel like that's common, right? Or that's, mm-hmm. that's totally understandable. But people are really upset that he, that he went. I just don't Yeah, it's. It's so funny because it's like, I think that that is um, why, uh, so so you see that in um, the beginning of The Hobbit, right? Where he's very much like the Bilbo that we meet at the beginning of that movie, at that book is, you know, he's very much like, no, like, we don't need any crazy things around here. But then he's like when he realizes he's talking to Gandalf, he's like, oh, like Gandalf with the fireworks and who did X, Y, and Z, you know, like there's like a part of him that's like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And so that's when Gandalf is like, yep, you're definitely going. So, oh. but, um, so then I think Tolkien goes back and in the concerning hobbits part of the prologue, he talks about the different types of hobbit that there are to kind of, I think, explain why Bilbo and Frodo are a little bit different. So, like, I would say that there were these... He calls them, like, breeds of Hobbit, but I don't really love. Um, Maybe, like, different tribe of Hobbits that um, are kind of the ancestors of the Hobbits that we see today. And by today, I mean in this book. Um, (laughs) uh, So there's the Harfoots, the Stores, and the Fallowhides. And the Harfoots, they're actually going to make an appearance in the Rings of Power, which also very interesting to see how the heck they do that, because they don't, you know, that's kind of like the point of the Lord of the Rings is that this is the first time that hobbits have really started to change anything about the history of the world. So maybe it'll just be like a little storyline. I don't know. But Mm -hmm. so there's the Harfoots, which are described as browner of skin, smaller, uh, shorter than other hobbits they prefer highlands and hillsides so they're the ones that kind of preserve that have started and continue to live in like tunnels and holes the way that okay um you know bilbo's house is set up his is very fancy poorer hobbits have fewer rooms or one room type of thing um but that's how that they're the ones that are like digging the tunnels to to live in um, and they like to stay settled in one place. They're the most representative variety, is how Tolkien puts it. And I think arguably this is where Bilbo's like Baggins side of the family uh, stems from. You know, they're more of a Harfoot type of hobbit. And then there's the Stores, who are broader, heavier in build. Um, feet and hands are larger. They preferred flatlands and riversides, which is like really uncommon with hobbits. Like, a lot of hobbits are afraid of the water and the sea and don't know how to swim. Um, okay. They are less shy of men, and they came west after the Harfoot. So it goes Harfoot, Stores, Fallowhides, and so far as, like, how they migrated to okay. the Shire, essentially. And then there's the Fallowhides. 
um, which are described as fairer of skin and also of hair. And I think this is probably one of the few times that Tolkien uses fair to mean lighter, you know, because in like uh, comparison like to, yeah, usually he means that he uses it to just, just say something's like beautiful and yeah, attractive. But um, I think in this case, it kind of directly mirrors how he describes the Harfoots as like they're browner these are fairer mm-hmm. um uh taller slimmer lover of trees and woodlands um they are the least numerous they're more friendly with the elves so it's funny he kind of partners them up with like different types of other races so like the hardfoots are more hang out chill with the dwarves stores more likely to chill with men and phallohides more likely to be friends with elves um they had more skill in language and song than in handicrafts and that's very bilbo because he's constantly writing poems and reciting poems and writing, you know, his story, genealogies. Um, a lot of hobbits are obsessed with, like, their own personal histories. and okay. But not all hobbits, like, know how to read and write. But Bilbo is very much, like, a learned hobbit. Um, mm. And they're described as bolder and more adventurous. And Tolkien makes a point to say that this fallow heidish strain is still seen in the Tooks and the brandy bucks you know pippin mary bilbo's mom was a took and uh frodo's mom was a brandy buck okay so i think that's his kind of sneaking it in there that like these guys are built different <laughs> you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. um for as to why Bilbo is kind of itching to leave and why he was even why he was even ever able to be convinced to go to Mm -hmm. the lonely mountain in the first place um but it's funny because obviously he's not the only toque I mean there's like a whole family of toques and there's a whole family of brandy bucks so like you know conceivably Gandalf could have uh tried to get one of those hobbits involved but he chose Bilbo because Gandalf is usually right about everything. Um, So yeah, but that scene, I just love that scene between it's like Ian Holm, Ian McKellen, just like bringing it. They're both like incredible actors. Like Mm -hmm. their delivery is so beautiful and it it feels very much like the book in that moment. So yeah, then Frodo walks in and um Gandalf so Frodo in the movie he like picks it up off the floor because Gandalf couldn't pick it up which I think was lovely and um but in the books Bilbo had already had it in an envelope like it was in an envelope with like his a bunch of other documents like I want to say will but I don't know if it was his will but you know just like where like the deed to Bag End and all that stuff. Um, so Bill, so when Bilbo drops that, Gandalf is able to take it and immediately put it on the mantle. But I thought that the way they did it in the movie was really effective as far as Frodo just picking it up so casually. Like, oh boy, you don't even know what's about to happen to you. Right. And then Gandalf gingerly offering him the envelope, like put it in here, seals it, says put it away. I gotta go figure some stuff out. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting that, like, the amount of trust that Frodo had of Gandalf, 
that it, I mean, it's, it's sus. Like, a piece of jewelry that looks very unordinary. He's like, he seals it, puts it in an envelope, and is like, don't think about this. Put it away. Don't touch it. And Frodo's like, okay, that's not a weird interaction at all. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, it's funny because it's like, Frodo knows that the ring makes you invisible. And in the book, he does say to Gandalf, like, because Gandalf shows up um, after Frodo has, at one point, to knock on the door after Frodo has been trying to give away all this stuff from Bilbo's house that Bilbo left for other people to take. Um, And Frodo says to Gandalf, like, man, I really wanted to put on that ring and, like, disappear earlier today. And Gandalf was like, don't do that. Yeah. Don't you don't want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he doesn't um so that's another thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that in the prologue and in the first chapter it talks about how um Gandalf was concerned about the ring, you know? And, um, and so in the prologue, he tells, uh, when it tells about Bilbo finding the ring and it reiterates that Bilbo initially lied about how he got it. He originally told people that Gollum gave it to him as his like prize for winning the riddle game, Mm -hmm. um, rather than what actually happened of, you know, Bilbo not telling him what he had in his pocket, Gollum Mm -hmm. wanting to go find his ring so he could eat Bilbo chasing each other all that um Mm -hmm. and it says that gandalf disbelieved the story um and that gandalf thought it important and disturbing to find that the good hobbit had not told the truth from the first so it's like saying that gandalf has been suspicious about this ring for 60 years but hasn't um necessarily done anything about it and that's one thing that you find out from the appendices and they do try to fit this into the Hobbit movies as far as like Gandalf is this is uh you know he knows that there are other rings of power in the world um and this could be one of those lesser rings that maybe it's nothing you know Mm -hmm. but in the events of the Hobbit when they I think it's when Gandalf starts to realize that Saruman isn't being very forthright with them as far as um, he's very hesitant to try to get um, the necromancer out of Mirkwood at Dol Guldur. Um And that's when they eventually realize that it, they realize that it's actually Sauron there um, and they banish him, but he really just pretends that he was defeated and like goes to Mordor. Um, so I think, right around there is, you know, Gandalf is sensing there's more darkness and evil in the world. Bilbo randomly finds this ring, and if it wasn't a ring that was a big deal, why would he feel the need to lie about it? Mm -hmm. So you've got this, like, doubt being placed in Gandalf's mind, and I don't think he's, like, very suspicious of Saruman, but maybe there's maybe, like, a something in his heart about Saruman. Um, And then with the events of 
after Bilbo's party, when he's like really struggling to give it up mm-hmm. and he starts to use phrases like Gollum, like starts talking like Gollum, calling it his own and his precious, um, I think is when Gandalf decides that something is up. And he says to Frodo, I've merely begun to wonder about the ring, especially since last night. I think that's maybe like an oversimplification for Frodo's sake to maybe not alarm him, but I think that's the moment where Gandalf is like, this could mm-hmm. be very bad. Um, quick side note, what I liked about the additional little bits of Isildur's story in the extended version, I think Gladriel? Gladriel? Gladriel, Gladriel, making sure I'm saying it right. Um, <laughs> she talks about how um, Isildur did, went, went on his own thing. Um, he's using the ring. She says it was precious to him. Mm-hmm. Um, so then it like it ties that word to all of their obsessions with the ring, and I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a common. It's like everybody that has it says that i think frodo eventually even says it and or at least it's mine my own um if not precious you know and i think it makes me wonder because the ring is the reason that sauron is able to be destroyed with the destruction of the ring is that because he put so much of himself into it that he is you know and it's also interesting because Sauron is a Maiar in the same way that the Balrog and Gandalf and Saruman are all Maiar. They're all these like lesser gods. Essentially. So, you know, Sauron, they're all technically, and Gandalf, you know, like they're technically the same type of being. And so far as they don't die the same way than anyone else dies so like elves lifespans are tied to the lifespan of the earth which is why they are immortal right but if like eru iluvatar decided to like the earth then they would all die too so they Mm. just kind of continue and that's why they go whenever they feel really tired after like tens of thousands of years they get to go to Valinor and be with the gods again like they were at the beginning of time um essentially mm-hmm. there's a little bit more to it than that but that's the idea whereas um Maiar so like you see that in Gandalf when he fights the Balrog and then dies and then God essentially is like you know what you are a real one, Gandalf, and you're the only <laughs> one doing your damn job. Yeah. So I'm going to send you back <laughs> to continue to do that. And with Sauron is why, like, he didn't die um, all these other times that he could have, you know, because his, his spirit continues. But with, um, the after he's created the rings, I believe that it's like he's poured so much of himself into it that now his spirit is tied to it. So if it goes, then he goes too. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm following. Yeah. 
So it's it's very interesting the way that magic and stuff works in Tolkien's world because it's so well it's in Lord of the Rings anyway it's like super subtle but then in the Silmarillion I'm this is another thing that I would love to see in the Rings of Power I don't know how they would because it's mainly first age stuff in first age things are crazy they're crazy like (laughs) Sauron is a vampire sometimes oh yeah like and Luthien can like just sing at you and win a, a battle. I don't, I don't, I don't know how it works. It's very, it's very, or she can like weave a coat out of her hair and then you're like, you're not invisible, but you can't be seen. If that makes sense, if you're wearing the coat, and she can like, there are elves with the magic ability. Like I think it's Finrod, Galadriel's brother. And people like Luthien, they can, like, change how they appear so that they can, like, be sneaky and, like, infiltrate the enemy sometimes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, like, magic like that in the Silmarillion that doesn't happen in Lord of the Rings. And I'm like, are they going to allude to any of that in Rings of Power? I have no clue. But it would be cool. Of course. <laughs> it did. Fancy. Yeah. I feel like this was a very unhinged look at the first two parts of Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> Lots of streams of consciousness about Yeah. But that's the thing is it's like I knew I, I was worried about this one because they're by the movies adding in all that second age stuff, there is it just opens so, up so much. much for you to talk about. I know. And I apologize. (laughs) Don't apologize. (laughs) So I think um, maybe not every episode will be full of things. (laughs) But this is how my brain works. And I feel like I have you trapped here for as long as I want you, so I get to brain dump all of that stuff. And I'm not saying that to you, listener. I'm saying that to you specifically, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> that is my role. That is why I'm here. Yes. So thank you so much for joining in on this wild and crazy adventure. Um, we're having a lot of fun doing it. Um, we're hoping to have some announcements about um guests and that kind of thing soon so stay tuned be sure to tune in next week for um what happens next in the movie and then also in the book and we will see you next week